Good morning. If you would be opening in your Bibles to the passage that Richard just read for us, Matthew 19. We're going to be taking some time this morning to look at a topic as we have been going on with this idea of these moral issues that confront Christians today. We're going to be looking at the topic of marriage this morning. As you're turning there to Matthew 19, I want to stop and reiterate what's already been said this morning. So, so thankful to see each and every one of you here. Some of you are visitors, some not so much visitors, but friends and family that have come to be with us. And we're so thankful for each and every one of you. We hope that you, uh, you know that you're our guest. And we also hope that if you have any questions about anything you hear this morning, you would ask us about it. Ask us and let us to give us some time to talk with you and to discuss. And we, we can promise you that anything that we say and do, we, we strive to do in spirit and in truth. And we will have a biblical answer for your questions. But this moral issue that we want to talk about this morning, it's one that confronts Christians today, and it does relate to this institution of marriage. What we see today is many, many people are clamoring to redefine marriage. We see people who are outright screaming for equality and acceptance of their views of marriage. And in response to this, we have seen governments who have responded in making laws that redefine who can and cannot marry. We see that same-sex marriage is now at this point a, a, legal, uh, a legal thing in the eyes of the U.S. And likely, in, in my opinion, uh, other types of marriages will follow after this, things such as polygamy and, and other forms like that. And as Christians, we are confronted with this. It's something that we need to, to be well aware of and we need to ask ourselves when we're confronted with these issues, what is it that Jesus said? about these things? What is it that the apostles revealed about marriage? What did they say about same-sex marriages? How did they tell us to respond to these situations? That's what I want to look at this morning. So if, if, you, if you've opened your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Matthew 19. We're going to spend a little bit of time there this morning. And I think it would be prudent and beneficial to you uh, to be there as we study. And we want to look at what the Bible says what the Bible says about these, uh, these issues. apologize, having a little bit of technical difficulty. But. So the first place we want to look to is Matthew 19, and as Richard read for us in verses 3 through 6, we see this is some of Jesus' teachings on marriage. And one of the first things we see here is that marriage is something that is instituted by God. Something that was instituted by God, and it was done so at the beginning. We see in, in, chapter, in verse 4 of this chapter, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So we see that from the beginning, this was God's intention, for there to be one man and one woman. And, and in this, we, we sometimes have a saying that has arisen from this, kind of a cliche saying at this point, that God created them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Now, I don't want to, to rely too heavily on the sayings of the world today, and more so on the Bible, but we do see that in the beginning, God saw a need for, for man. He looked at man and saw that man wasn't complete, and so he created a helper for man, and he created woman. He did so in designing this, or he did this by design. He saw that that woman was complementary to man. Their, their 
biologically, they were designed to complement one another. We also see in all this that God created them with the intent that they would separate from their families and that they would become one. We read that in verse 5, that he would leave his father and mother and that they would become, they would be joined together as husband and wife and become one. So man was to leave and to start a new family, to, to begin what his parents had done before and to, to continue that, that same union on. And that's the second or the, the next thing that we see in this passage that in verse 6 that this is a union. It is a union between man and woman, and it is a union that is joined together, not by the states, not through some sort of, of cultural uh, practice, but by God. It is a union performed by God. And verse 6 says, So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. We see here that God does the joining and only God does the joining. We're very quick to, to look today at our society and say that we have passed laws declaring what marriages are and what they are not. We have passed laws saying who can and who cannot be married. And what this passage is saying to us is that is not our place to do that. God has set these places these up. In fact, he goes on in Mark 6, if you want to turn over there. Mark 6, chapter 17, or Mark 6, verse 17 and 18. We see this recorded for us again that this was not something that is just new to this day. This idea of laws being passed that would accept marriages and, and not accept others. This was something that was going on even back in Jesus' time. In Mark chapter 6, we see that John the Baptist has gone to Herod to talk to him about his wife, Herodias. We see in verses 17 through 18, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now Herod had married Herodias, and Herodias was his brother's wife. And it was very lawful in the eyes of the state for him to have her. That was accepted in the eyes of the state. But what John uh, had come to him and said to him, and because of been bound and, and thrown in prison, he'd come to him and said, It might be lawful in the state for you to have your brother's wife, but God does not view that as a lawful marriage. He does not bound that, bind that. And so in all these things, we see that Jesus, His teachings on marriage teach that marriage is instituted and marriage is regulated by God and not by the state. Next thing we want to look at is the apostles and their teaching on marriage. If we want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read in verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. What the Hebrew writer was teaching us here is that the, the concept of sex in marriage is a very honorable concept, but only a concept inside of marriage. Outside of marriage, it is dishonorable. In fact, he goes on to say that the fornicators, which we talked about last Sunday, this idea of those who practice sexual, sexual immorality, that, that they are going to be judged by God. And likewise, the adulterers, those who violate that bond, that union that God sets between, in marriage, those that violate that bond, that they will be judged by God. And so we see this, that we, we are to avoid these things. We are to avoid fornication. We are to avoid adultery. 
And God says there is a problem with sexual immorality in the world, but I have a solution. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians. He says, I will give you a solution to this problem that is in the world. In chapter 7, reading in the first five verses of this, uh, this chapter, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not be deprived, do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we see that God's, God's solution to the problem with sexual immorality was to create a relationship where it would be accepted, uh, acceptable, where it would be honorable to have, to have this sexual relationship. And that is seen through marriage. Marriage of one man, marriage of one woman, what we call today a heterosexual marriage. That is opposite sex. But for some people, they say, that's not, that's not going to work for me. For some reason, that won't work, what you have set up. But for them, God still says, I have a solution. I still have a solution to if you don't accept the first solution. And that's found in the, the next three verses, in chapter, or verse 6 through 9. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I, as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control... Let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What the apostles were saying here, the apostles who were inspired by God, who, who were breathing the message that God was, was giving to them, was that if, if the heterosexual relationship that God has instituted, that God has bound to solve this problem of sexual immorality, is not an interest to you, then you have another solution. That solution is to practice self-control. To practice self-control over yourself. And so likewise, as Jesus, the apostles also taught that marriage is something that is regulated by God and by His Word. Now both Jesus and His apostles, as they talked about marriage, they also had very important things to say about divorce. And as it relates to the institution of marriage. And we're going to discuss that in another lesson. We'll spend some time on that, but I don't want to spend time on that today. Now I want to go ahead and turn our attention to what the Bible says about the same-sex marriage and the issue that we have with that today. So what does the Bible teach about same-sex marriage? As we've already noted, that the Bible clearly teaches that sexual relationships outside of marriage are sinful. We talked about this last week. Whether those sexual relationships be heterosexual, whether they be homosexual, they fall into the category of fornication, of sexual immorality. And we also saw today that the solution to the sexual immorality was clearly stated as well in 1 Corinthians 7. It was that we enter into a heterosexual relationship of, of a marriage that is bound by God, or we practice self-control. And we also saw that marriage is the divine institution and not a civil one. God determines what constitutes a proper marriage, not man. 
And, and what we mean by that is the wedding ceremony is not what defines the marriage. Uh, in, in various places around the world and in various cultures, a, mar- a wedding ceremony may look like two people jumping over a broomstick. Or maybe they take a glass and cover it in a cloth and they stomp on the glass. Here it's, it's much more traditional for us to have the, the bride and the groom come down the aisle and to face each other and to say their vows. But these are not what institute the marriage. The marriage is divine by, is or, excuse me, ordinated by God. It is a, a divine institution. And so we see that marriage throughout the Bible, being divinely instituted by God, has always been between a man and a woman. So now that brings us to this idea of same-sex marriage. What does the Bible say about it? The Bible says absolutely nothing about same-sex marriage. And I find that very interesting because sometimes we look at the world today, and you'll hear this often, people look at the world today and say, it's so terrible. Look how terrible the times have gotten. You, you, we have this problem with homosexuality and with this push for same-sex marriage. We see all these bad things that are going on, and it's just, how did the world get to this state? But I want to suggest to you that the world has been in this state for a very, very long time. In this time when all these things were being recorded for us, when Jesus was making his teachings to the Pharisees about, same-sex, or about, uh, about marriage and what it is, this at the same time, there were... There were same-sex marriages being in place at that point. Not too long after Jesus' death, we see Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero himself had two same-sex marriages, one to a man named Pythagoras, another one to a man named Sporus. This was something that was not unheard of. So why did the Bible take no time? Why did God take no time to talk about a same-sex marriage? We see nothing in there about how it is to work. We see nothing in the Bible about who would be the head of the household, who would submit, how these things were to, to, uh, how these two were to relate to one another in their relationship and marriage. We see nothing when it talks about marriage describing any sort of same-sex relationship. In fact, all discussion in every single situation pertaining to marriage describes a husband and wife, male and female relationship. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 40. Romans 7, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Colossians 3, 18 through 19. 1 Timothy 3, chapter, or verse 2, 11 through 12, chapter 5 and 14. Titus 1, 6, chapter 2, 4 and 5. And 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. These, all these passages that pertain to marriage, not one time do they talk about anything other than a husband-wife relationship. So at the very best, at the very best, the Bible is completely silent regarding same-sex marriage. Now, of course, there is the issue of homosexuality that is discussed there. And as I said already, we will discuss that more in the future. But this issue of same-sex marriage that we have today, is the Bible is completely silent on. So as Christians, how should we respond? How should we respond when we are faced with this issue? When we are faced with this conflict, well, if we look to to social media today uh, or to the culture in general, we do see a variety of responses that have taken place. Some have eagerly accepted with open arms the issue of same-sex marriage. Others have responded in in situations uh, uh, attacking those that are involved. They have responded with hate, with fear and outrage. 
There are those who call them uh, Christians who have attacked every tragedy that has happened on U.S. soil and abroad on the fact that the U.S. has accepted the uh, homosexuality. Uh, there are others who uh, still claim to be Christian and maybe even a part of the Lord's body, and, and they, they will go on social media and, and completely destroy people for their beliefs in this. But we do good to remember that same-sex marriage is no different than any other unscriptural marriage. Divorce and remarriage can lead to an adulterous relationship, an adulterous marriage. And governments have sanctioned these adulterous marriages for years. In fact, many Christians have friends, have family members that are involved in in, in such marriages. And and I can promise you that as same-sex marriages become more popular and they become more common... Our acquaintances with such is going to become more common as well. And so we must stand firm. We must stand firm in supporting the truth concerning the institution of marriage, what God has said about what a marriage consists of, about who can be married, about who cannot. But we must never, ever forget the command to be meek, the command to be gentle, while also being bold. In short, we should be kind. We should approach this issue with kindness. As with all people who are engaged in sinful behavior, we should love the sinner while hating the sin. That's incredibly easy for us to say. We say that so oftentimes when talking specifically on this issue. But do we always show that sort of relationship? Do we show them that we love them while despise the sin that separates them from God? Sometimes we say that. We say that we love the sinner, hate the sin, but we do nothing to show them what God teaches on this letting them walk right down the path that they are on towards the judgment that God will will provide for them. Does that show love if we say nothing? Other times we might say something and we say it's so full of hate that there's no way that love could ever be found in it. Turn with me over to Ephesians 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told how we are to approach those who are in sin. Ephesians 4 and in verse 15, we read, But speak the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. We need to be speaking the truth in love and not hate. Or 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26 tells us, we need to reach out to others, but we need to do it in an attitude of gentleness and in an attitude of patience. 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 through 26. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You know, sometimes, sometimes when we go to people, whether it be something like homosexuality, whether it be drunkenness, whether it be that they're a liar or a, 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 a thief, we go to them and we, we expect that they will just right away put everything off that they have been doing wrong. We're going to throw that away and we're going we're gonna to follow Christ and we're going to be perfect just like we are, right? Just like we're perfect. No, that's not what God is looking for. He's looking for someone that understands that they're not perfect to begin with. And when they go to others, they, they have that same patience that God somehow has given us. That patience that God looks down on us and realizes that we're trying, 
We're trying to do his will, and he's going to give us that patience. He's going to give us that mercy. And so when we go to those who might be in a same-sex relationship or might be in a relationship that is, that is adulterous, we're going to go to them with love. We're going to go to them with kindness. And we're going to go with them with the patience, everything that we would hope that God would give to us had we been in the same situation. And we need to make sure that we are doing our best not to fix their problem but to convert them to Jesus as a Savior and as a Lord. Matthew 28 talks about, in those last couple of verses, 18, 19, and 20, as it talks about there that we're trying to, to teach them how much they need Jesus and how much the bad, that they need to be baptized into His name. And after that, the teaching follows. We need to make sure that we are first trying to help to convert them to the Lord. And the next thing we need to do is we need to remember that we are citizen saints. We are saints who are citizens of a, of a heavenly kingdom, but are living in a free society. And as so, we should be praying for our leaders. Praying for our leaders that we may live peaceable and godly lives, as 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 4 tells us. We need to make sure that we have our leaders and the decisions that they make in, in our prayers. And we also need to make sure that we're living as sojourners and as pilgrims. That means we need to be setting honorable examples. As we walk our lives, we need to make sure that we're setting the kind of example that someone might look at us and they might think, I want to be more like that. I want to have that kind of relationship with the Lord. Someone that might, uh, that, so that we might be able to convert someone, so we might be able to prick someone's heart to see how much they truly do need the Lord and how much they truly do need to obey Him. So the institution of marriage has long been under attack. Long been under attack. It, it, for divorce and remarriage, for absolutely any reason, has undermined, uh, undermined the idea of marriage for generations. We saw the idea of of no fault divorce back in uh, no fault divorces back in the forties and the fifties. Same sex marriage is only the latest attack. It's only the thing that is most prevalent, and and I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't think it'll be the last attack. On, on the institution of marriage. In fact, today we see another problem that we don't talk about much, and that's the idea of cohabitation. Many people today simply just decide, I won't be married, I'll just, I'll just live with my partner, and that will just suffice. And I will accept all the relationships that come through marriage, but I will never enter into a relationship that the Lord has bound. As Christians, we are going to be confronted with such things. And we need to remain true to the teachings that Christ and His apostles laid out. We need to remember that to remain, uh, that we must remain in the doctrine of Christ if we are to both have the Father and the Son. That's 2 Peter verse 9 tells us. We are to illustrate by way of example uh, that God's way is good. God's way is acceptable and God's way is perfect. You know, sometimes when I look around, when I look around at the marriages of Christians today, Sometimes it's not any sort of surprise to me why people look at that and look at the model which God has set forth and say, no thanks. No thanks, I'm not interested in that. When they see Christians who are miserable with their spouses, miserable with their lives, we need to make sure that we are living an example that shows people what a true godly marriage is supposed to look like. And we need to reach out to all of those who are lost all who are lost in sin with both the truth and with the love that is in Jesus. We've talked so much about this lately, but it can never be stressed enough. 
Because as bad as these attacks are on God, as bad as these attacks are on his marriage and his institution of marriage, so is our inability, our lack of interest just to sit back and to do nothing and to say nothing. That is just as dishonorable. So always remember, always remember that when it comes to the institution of marriage, as we read in Hebrew 13 and verse 4, that marriage is honorable. It's honorable among all in the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. As I've talked about this morning, the relationships and marriages, I want to, to speak of another relationship that we have, the opportunity to be in. If you go ahead and open your books to number 423, we're going to be singing this song in just a moment. 423, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Maybe, as I've said here and I've spoke, maybe you've been thinking about your own relationship with God. One that is oftentimes viewed as a marriage. There's much language in the Bible describing it as a marriage. When, when Brother Eric led his prayer, he talked about how God would never cheat on us, how He would be faithful to us. The church is oftentimes described as the bride of Christ and Him being the bridegroom. But the thing is, this marriage, this marriage is not forced upon anyone. Christ rather beckons us to submit to His proposal, if you will. He proposes that we believe in Him. Believe that He is the living Son of God. He proposes that we repent of our old ways, of our old life, and, and convert ourselves over to a life in faithful submission to Him. And He asks us to do that through baptism. And He proposes that we remain faithful. Faithful until death. As the, that is what we see in Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, Revelation chapter two and verse ten. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. But faithful, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. This morning, if you would like to become a child of God, or if you have been unfaithful to Him in the relationship that you have, and would like to request the prayers and the help of the saints here, and would like to repent of your unfaithfulness and devote your life back to a faithful service of Him, I encourage you this, this morning, do not delay, do not wait. Come forward now as we stand and sing.